Welcome. My name is Vanessa Malaire. I am your family's pastor over children and youth, and I'm really excited to be delivering your homily today. Um, I'm here to talk to you this morning about tension and more specifically what you have to gain individually and corporately within our community by intentionally and thoughtfully engaging it. Now, if the concept of walking into a potentially tense conversation or environment makes you cringe, you are not alone. So um, I thought it would be fun if we shared some of those stories. So what has made you cringe recently? Um, I'll share, and then I'd like for you to share. Um, I actually prepared a meme for you so that you can see. <laughs> yes. So um, recently, I was hugged by my past principal when, when I went back to help the new drama teacher hold auditions. And if you're not in the know, that transition did not go well uh, from being there to being your family's pastor. And the hug itself wasn't so much awkward, but the hug she, during the hug she did, Christopher, can I use you please? Okay. During the hug, she, did, she like came over and was like, we did not fire you. You left us. <laughs> and I went, okay. <laughs> um, I cringed from the, t from the top of my head to the, to the bottom of my toes. And when we left the room, the teacher who was with me said, whew, that was awkward. <laughs> Um, so recently, Vox worked with a consultant, which you've heard a little bit about, to develop a whole lot of structure and organization to our non-hierarchical intentions. Um, within that work, there was clarity developed around shared leadership and collective discernment, just to name a few. Um, a part of this was clarity around tension and what the community has to gain by naming these. They fell into two categories, those that need to be resolved and some that need to be held. So as you view this list, it is worthy to note that the polarities being held here are not evil versus good per se. Uh, for example, the tension meeting individual needs versus prioritizing the collective. Both are needed and worthy of being held. Um, when a church prioritizes the collective at the expense of the individual, this is where many of us get our religious trauma from. But if a church prioritizes the individual to the exclusion of the collective, it becomes a shallow place indeed. We need both to be the kind of healing community-based culture that Vox so th thoughtfully curates. Now, before I tell you what this homily is, let me tell you what it isn't. This is not a homily on how we want to find ourselves in some sort of lukewarm middle ground on issues where we avoid taking sides or making hard decisions. This is not a homily to cover for our comfort. What it is is an exploration on what might happen for you in your life and growth if you willingly stand in the midst of two polarities holding on to each one equally. This is tension. Now, the word tension is not a pleasant word for most of us. We carry tension in our necks, in our bodies, 
Um, you might find yourself walking into tense workplaces or having an awkward moment with a boss, as was shared earlier. This is negative or unhealthy tension. On the flip side of that is positive tension um, or healthy tension that leads to growth. When we lift weights or we do squats or yoga, we are putting intentional tension on our muscles that causes them to grow. When we study subjects that make us uncomfortable, it places our mind and emotions in tensions that then help us grow. This is the kind of tension that I'm here to talk to you about today and offer some thoughts on how it might be done well and why you should want to invite it into your life. So we're going to have story time because I love to tell stories. It's kind of what I'm good at. It's uh, likely not an original story, being that it centers on religious trauma. And it's actually my hope that you find echoes within it of your own story. Um, spoiler is that it will contain the word penis. Um, so if that bothers you, you might want to do something about that. <laughs> so <clears throat> I never intended on working in children's ministry. Shocking considering my profession, I know, please don't fire me. Um, but true nonetheless, I did want to do church work from a pretty young age. I was fascinated by preachers and youth ministers and how they could lead people to think differently about God. But I did notice that I lacked one thing that all of those leaders had, a penis. And as I went to study theology at a private Christian university, not only did I continue to lack one, but it turns out that everyone else noticed my distinct lack of penis as well. And when I graduated and had a child, I was ushered into children's ministry for my continued lack of penis. And as time went on, this became quite the problem with male leaders over me because although I did not have male genitals, I definitely acted like I had balls. <laughs> so if a, if a male leader objectified women at a church staff lunch claiming that the woman serving our lunch obviously wanted him to look at her boobs, um, I would calmly ask if his eyes were stuck and unable to change directions. Um, if a male leader saw me in the coffee room while I was pregnant with my second child with my shoes off and said, that's how I like my women, barefoot and pregnant, <laughs> yeah, I'd respond, that's how I like my men. <laughs> when a male congregant tried to tell me how to exegete a passage of scripture or a woman congregant told me I might want to reconsider my outfit because it was either too revealing or too masculine. My line was, I'm good, thanks. Now, I know this makes it sound like I was always courageous in sticking up for myself, and I'm sad to say that I was silent far more than I would have liked, um, but it did happen far too often for any of their liking, and my habit of opening my mouth definitely was consistently noticed and called out. This all came to a head when I worked for a large local church as their children's pastor because, as it turned out, children's ministry kind of grew on me. There's the good news. You don't have to fire me now. I started out under the leadership of an awesome pastor who I still admire. He was kind and offered me space to lead. 
I took the, that position because he would be my boss. Um, after one year, they restructured the entire staff and put me under someone else. One of the most toxically masculine leaders I have ever met. And it was the insidious kind of toxic masculinity as well. Um, the kind where he thinks he's a friend to women because he lifts up their talents and gifts all the time and supports and treasures his wife and all of her beauty. Um, over time, he crushed me. He would do things like write emails on my behalf to the whole church and sign my name or make me fill out timesheets um, because he didn't understand what I did with my work week when no other salaried worker on staff had to do so. I developed horrible coping habits of making snap decisions before he could get involved or depending on my volunteers to tell me that I was doing a good job. I had massive stomach issues and sometimes I would just go into my office, shut the door and lay face down in order to get a hold of myself. Um, it was one of the most painful experiences of my whole life. But what made it worse was that the elders, the people who, call, who told me they were there to support me, the people who hired me, called me into a surprise meeting one day. It was an ambush. I'd complained too many times about this toxic man, and I was told that this position was bad for me. And they wanted me to be released from the responsibility and were offering me a choice to leave, which was no choice. I walked away from church work utterly humiliated and believing all sorts of lies about myself told to me by others. This is an example of attention that needs to be resolved. On one side was what I knew about myself to be true, worthy, loved, capable, strong, brilliant even, creative. And on the other side, unworthy, unloved, unappreciated, fundamentally flawed, confused, and ultimately can't cut it. Now, if this is where my story ended, it would be a story about pain and religious trauma and not about tension, but thankfully there's more to come. But we're gonna move on to our text. Our primary text this morning is John 21, 18 through 23. Let's set the scene, shall we? If you're comfortable, would you consider coming to a neutral state of relaxation with me? Just plant your tailbone on your seat, come to a neutral position with your hands either by your side or in your lap. Take a deep breath with me. As I set the scene, allow yourself as you are comfortable to remain in this state until I invite you to open your eyes. The sun is shining. It's warm outside. The kind of warm that gently bakes your skin. Your skin has a light sheen of sweat 
and as the breeze off the sea dances across your skin, you feel pleasantly cooled. Your hands are dug into the ropes. You're attempting to coil at your feet. The light is creating patterns across the backs of your hands. As you examine them, you notice the patterns repeat across the brown smooth skin there, alternating light and dark endlessly. Bringing your attention back to your task, the ropes are rough and lightly scratch the surface of your hands. You hear the chatter of your friends nearby. You feel a presence draw near and see a shadow falling across the ropes. You lift your downturned eyes and are first hit by the bright sunlight streaming over the shoulders in front of you. It's the face you love the most in the world, the one person that has ever truly understood you. From the moment he called you, follow me, you felt a piece of belonging you didn't ever think you'd find anywhere. And ever since that moment, you knew you'd follow him anywhere. Peter, he says, do you love me? You respond instinctually, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He smiles and says, feed my lambs. Your gaze drops to your feet to consider what he said. He often does this, says things that you don't really understand. You think the conversation is over, but he asks again a second time and then a third. And you respond the same way each time. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. How could he even question your heart? You've seen him literally read other people's minds. You've seen him read your mind. So how does he not know? Finally, Jesus says to you, feed my sheep. Then he goes on to say in verse 18 of John chapter 21, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which you would glorify God. Then he said to you, follow me. You turn and see that the disciple whom Jesus loved is following you. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When you see him, you ask, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. If you haven't already, start to come to yourself. Wiggle your toes. Give your shoulders a little wiggle. Open your eyes. If you wouldn't mind, would you turn to a neighbor or four and share what came up to you in that exercise as you placed yourself in the skin of Peter talking to Jesus. I'll give you a couple minutes to reflect and to share. So there are lots of tensions in this passage if we look a little closely, but I'm going to spend my time focusing on two. The first tension is one that had to be held and still does. Abundantly living 
versus suffering in life. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came to give life, life in all its fullness. There's an abundance in, um, that comes from a spirit-filled life that has nothing to do with health and wealth, but rather a fullness that comes from knowing complete belonging. That's on one side. The other side is suffering upon suffering because the Jesus stuff is not easy. It freaking sucks most of the time. Loving hard hurts hard, especially if you've ever been told by word or action that you are fundamentally made wrong, which a lot of us have. An unresolvable tension if you hold on to both sides, which is what we must do in order to grow. The second tension is relational. If you recall the story of Peter, it began with Jesus' call to become a disciple. Follow me. Peter was Jesus' most precocious disciple, frequently stepping out and making huge mistakes in both word and deed in front of everybody. The night Jesus died, Peter betrayed him over and over by saying, I do not know him. Here in this passage, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And in each time he gives Peter the chance to speak. Oh, baby. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I pause, ultra instinctive. Okay. Um, Peter asks three times, do you love me? And in each time he gives Peter the chance to speak in the affirmative. He resolved Peter's tension I love Jesus deeply, and I follow him, but I betrayed him. Jesus resolved it with his last words to a disciple in the Gospels. Follow me. Follow me anyway. Misfits, betrayers, and outliers are all welcome. Follow me. So, closing my story. After walking away from church work, I I took a year to heal in writing content for a small startup company called Epic Entertainment. And over that year, I spent many hours in my house working from home and reflecting on what I'd been through. Not just in the most recent iteration of religious trauma, but over years reaching all the way back into my childhood. One day I was hiking on the trails behind my house and I began to ask myself, what is it that I need to hear? Why can't I move on? I had been processing and healing for almost a year and was just stuck. Then I read Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. Most of us are either making the choice to protect ourselves from conflict, discomfort, and vulnerability by staying quiet or picking sides and in the process slowly and paradoxically adopting the behavior of the people we're fighting. Either way, the choices we're making to protect our beliefs and ourselves are leaving us disconnected, afraid, and lonely. True belonging and self-worth are not goods. We don't negotiate their value with the world. The truth about who we are lives in our hearts. Our call to courage is to protect our wild heart 
against constant evaluation, especially our own. I realized that what I really needed was to brave my own wilderness, and in true humility, showing up with my whole honest self, ask for an apology from my church leaders. I didn't necessarily need the apology itself, but I needed to voice all of the lies that were spoken over me and unspoken and my resulting beliefs to the people who hurt me. I needed my voice back. I needed to sit in tension and drag them with me. (laughs) I love you. You hurt me. You love me. You hurt me. Approaching these people with true humility and inviting tension in that space was difficult. It would have been far easier to cancel them and walk away. And it's actually in my nature to do this. And I've done it before in relationships and friendships. And to be fair, sometimes that is the right move um, to take yourself out of abuse. And to be fair to myself, it would have been a legitimate response. But it didn't feel like the right move for me. And... um, That would be resolved tension. But in times of meditation and reflection, I would think of Jesus' simple invitation, follow me. He's paved pathways for me with belonging and kindness and courage in the face of tension and conflict. And what I gained from that was an experience that catapulted my character to a whole new level. In following Jesus into that wilderness space, I found true belonging in the midst of our great and inclusive God. I could preach an entire other sermon on how I went into that conversation with vulnerable humility and all that came out of it, but instead I will simply say this, I did receive closure. I received a heartfelt, genuine apology and more relational care than I thought they were capable of, but what I received more than anything else, was more growth than I thought was possible. In sitting in that tension, doing something that is completely uncomfortable, I began to grow this muscle that has since saved my sanity repeatedly. I am far from done growing, and this is as it should be. Psychology theorists call this phenomenon dialectics. Hegel's dialectic states, that human reasoning and ideas go through a dialectic process of evolution. A concept or an idea is formed, which then fuels an opposing idea, the polar opposite. This produces tension or conflict between the two ideas. Engagement in this tension is what produces growth and a higher level of truth within us. Vox has fully embraced this. Thoughtfully engaging in tension as a community can bring great growth and a greater truth. And this is especially true when we approach these tensions with humility. So to end my homily, I offer you this. Humility in tension might look more like approaching with open hands rather than fists. 
I knew that I wanted to speak my mind in that meeting, but I also wanted love to be at the center of that conversation. Opening my voice to say the truest truths. When you said blank, I heard blank and believed blank, which is very different than you made me feel blank. Boldly affirming yourself as well as others. I am strong and capable. I did my job well. And also, I know you to be loving leaders, and I know that you care about me. Boldly stating what you need to hear. I need to hear that you know I am capable. Boldly stating what action you need. I need you to do a better job at having these workplace conversations. If we can do this, then tension becomes something less to be feared, but rather something to be embraced, something that can elevate character, bring growth, and illuminate greater truths, something that can bring you closer to the divine as you embrace your belonging, which then allows you to become more fully present in community with your whole self. You can be bold without being threatened. Let's grow together.